You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. I'm going to read a scripture. It's not in your notes Uh, But we've been sharing it almost every week as we've been in this study on Jesus the healer. By the way, is he a healer? Let me try that one more time. Is Jesus a healer? All right. He's still a healer. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was a healer in the New Testament, he's a healer now. And he still is. And guess what? He'll be a healer tomorrow. But let me share this scripture with you in Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. It says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, this is when he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And I just declare over you and over this church that that the Lord works with us. We are co-laborers together with him, Paul said, and, and I believe that he works with his word, confirming his word with signs following. So as I've been declaring all along in this series, I believe for people to be healed. And we're not quite through with this series, so there's still time. If you need healing in your body, there's always time. But uh, you can be healed. You can hear and be healed. Amen. Well, let's look at our foundation scripture. By the way, this is week number 10 in our series on Jesus the Healer. And I told you, usually my series are four to six weeks. And, uh, but we're, we're, going, we're going to take our time with this. And uh, we're really going to get into this. And, and uh, because I want you to be able to get this down in your heart. But let's look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Peter again summarizing the ministry of Jesus while he was here on the earth. And he said this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Everybody say power. Power. Who went about doing good. Say good. And healing. Say healing. healing. He went healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So God is for healing. Because he's the one that anointed Jesus and gave Jesus the ability to minister healing to people and to set people free from the oppression of the devil. And so, you know, I'm not going to endeavor to review 10 weeks or nine weeks rather of previous messages, but we've thoroughly established that it is the will of God for God's people to be healed. We have established that Jesus took your sicknesses, carried your diseases at the same time that he was bearing the price for your sin on the cross. And both Isaiah and 1 Peter say that that he took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. So say this after me. Say, I am healed. Say, I am the healed of the Lord. Say this, say, I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. That's pretty much all of you, isn't it? (laughs) And so Jesus paid the price for us to be healed. God does not bring and put sickness and disease on people. You know, uh, we, we spent a week or so covering this where a lot of misunderstanding has come because of the way certain things were translated in the Old Testament. But God doesn't have two or three personalities. If he is a healer now in the New Testament, he was a healer in the Old Testament. And where it looks like there were things that God brought upon people, what it simply is saying in the Hebrew language is that he permitted those things to come on them because how many of you know people were hard-headed just in the Old Testament just like they're hard-headed today? And, you know, a lot of times people would disobey and uh, God would be forced to take his hand of protection off of them as they moved out from underneath his will, plan, and purpose. And so uh, they experienced uh, sickness and disease. And, uh, but that was not God's plan and it's still not God's plan. And uh, it's God's plan for us to walk in healing. And by the way, it's God's plan for us to be able to walk in, in uh, all sufficiency 
Meaning uh, God wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. Somebody said, does that mean I'm going to be a billionaire? No, I didn't say that. You need to understand what the biblical definition of being rich is. Biblical prosperity is simply this. You being in a position with all of your needs met, so you are in a, in blessed and in a position to meet the needs of other people, no matter what those needs are. That's what real biblical prosperity is. It's not necessarily all about us being able to acquire more things, although God doesn't have a problem with you having things. He just doesn't want things having you. Just like God doesn't have a problem with you having some money. He just doesn't want money having you. Amen? Somebody said, well, that's good because I'm going to go try and win that billion-dollar lottery. Have y'all been keeping up with that? Isn't that amazing? You know, uh, some of y'all looking at me like, mm-hmm, I'm tempted to go do it. But anyway, praise the Lord. Let's get into this. I want to talk to you a little bit about something that I've been kind of hinting at throughout this, this whole series. And if I could provide for you or tell you a means whereby you could be cured, would you want to hear about it? Yes. Okay, thank you for those two people that said amen. Let me try it again. If I could present to you a cure that worked 100% of the time, is that something you would be interested in? Yes. Okay, all right. Well, you know, if you're a student of history, you know throughout history, people have sought cures for all kinds of ailments. You know, I, I, I'm a student of history, especially American history, and, you know, I'm reminded back in the Old West days, there were men who would travel around with wagons that would have, uh, you know, miracle elixirs and stuff like that, which basically most of it was just liquor, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, they would sell it to people. Snake oil salesmen, you ever heard that term, where, where, you know, they would try and sell people cures. This will cure this, and this will cure that. And there's been all kinds of things that people have come up with, you know, uh, mechanical things, all, all kinds of instruments in order to bring relief to people from physical symptoms and illnesses and ailments. And, you know, a lot of it was to take advantage of people. And some of it was legit. It did work to a degree. You know, uh, in, in my, again, my study of American history, I'm familiar with, uh, there's a town in Georgia called Warm Springs, Georgia. And uh, it's a place where there are warm mineral springs. And it was believed that people could go to Warm Springs, Georgia and actually swim in the springs and it would help relieve things like arthritis and those type of things. And matter of fact, President Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt built a home in Warm Springs, Georgia, just for that particular fact. For those of you who, who, who remember, he was struck with polio and uh, although they didn't advertise it publicly, you know, he was limited, uh, restricted to a wheelchair most of the time or he used leg braces, and what he found is down there in Warm Springs, Georgia, he could find some relief from uh, the, the polio symptoms, and uh, eventually, he actually, while he was in office, died at the home that he built in Warm Springs, Georgia. It was called the Little White House. But my point is this, is that even the President of the United States was seeking a cure through some type of natural means like a warm spring. And so there are, all over the world, people are looking for and seeking a cure for relief, to provide relief from some type of physical ailment, sickness, pain, something of that nature. But if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you what we're going to call the cure, the praise cure today. So write this down, please. The greatest cure known to mankind can be found in praising God. Somebody said, oh, come on, pastor, that's just too simple. Well, I didn't invent it. God invented it. And you know what? God is not all that complicated. We complicate God sometimes. We complicate his word. But you know, the greatest deliverance, the greatest relief known to man is in, within the reach of every believer walking the face of the planet, and it's found in praising God from a sincere heart with a heart of gratitude. And, uh, you know, we could, I could, if we could just get that one sentence right there, we could pray and go home right now, 
And uh, if we could learn that, I promise you, it would help you in every situation in your life. And by the way, as we're talking about the praise cure, understand this, this is applicable to everything that you might be dealing with in life. Not only physical sickness and disease, it's your way out of uh, financial problems, it's your way out of relational problems, it's your way out, and that's found in what we're calling the praise cure. This praise cure is God's cure, and it's a cure that never fails in every situation and every circumstance. And here's the good news, it, 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 it's pleasant. It doesn't hurt. It takes some effort, but it won't hurt you. And it's very effective. Write this down, please. What's also unusual about this cure is that as you learn how to implement it, this cure will always, everybody say always. always. It will always work for you and there's no charge for it. Now, I didn't say it was free. I said there's no charge for you. Now, here, what do I, what do I mean by that? The price has already been paid. The cost has already been covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, although it's free to you, it was not free in that it cost God everything in order to provide this for us, but it's available to everyone and if we will learn how to implement this and walk in it, it will bring you out of every difficult situation. Can I get an amen? Now, why is this cure so effective? It's because, again, it's been purchased with the life and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, if we will believe what God says in his word and we will walk in it, then this will work, again, in every situation and in every circumstance that you and I face. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to the Old Testament, and, and there's several examples of this throughout the Word of God. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 that uh, the Old Testament stories that we read about were written for our example so that we can look back on those things and we can learn from them and we can see what people did. We can see what people did that put them in difficult and bad situations, but we can also see what people did in obedience to God to get out of certain situations. So what we're going to do is we're going to go look in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. I could read the whole chapter, but we're, I don't want to take the time. We're going to read several verses. But there were two groups of people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, that came against Judah. Now, again, a little biblical history. The nation of Israel was split in two. You had the, the nation of Judah in the lower half of the country. You had the nation of Israel in the upper half of the country. The nation of Israel, the upper half, was way far away from God. They had drifted away. The lower half kind of came and went, and as they would have a good king that would lead them and bring them back to God, then they would draw close to God. And so that's what the case was in Judah at this particular time. There was a king named Jehoshaphat that was ruling over Judah, and so the Ammonites and the Moabites decided one day they're going to gang up together and they're going to come down and they're going to attack Judah. And so Jehoshaphat knew that they were no match for, for these armies that had teamed up together and were coming to conquer them. And so what Jehoshaphat did, I thank God for his wisdom, he had enough sense to step back and say, we need God's help. You know, how many of you know sometimes when we get in difficult situations, we don't step back and ask God, what is the plan? What, uh, we need your help in this, Lord. You know, a lot of times we just press on. I, you know, I, I heard somebody say a joke one time, uh, you know, where they were getting ready to pray over a meal or something along that line. And they said, let us pray. And somebody hollered, well, has it come to that? And a lot of times that's what people use prayer. They use the word of God. They look to God as the last resort. And I'm so glad Jehoshaphat didn't do that, and I encourage you don't do that. If you find yourself in a difficult situation, let the first person you run to be God. Let it, let it be the Lord Jesus and not 
you know, your cousins and all of them, run to the Lord because here's what I know. He has an answer for everything, okay? So what they do is Jehoshaphat's smart enough. He calls the entire nation of Judah together. He pronounces a fast. They began to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So in the middle of this time of prayer and fasting, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, now he's speaking by the Holy Spirit, he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Now, a couple of things that I want to say to you is this. The Bible says, if you will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Now, I love it because they, and they haven't even asked much at this point, petitioned the Lord, and, and God responds and says, you know what? Hey, guys, listen, don't be afraid or dismayed. I have found that sometimes if I will just seek God, not even really brought the situation to him and prayed about the situation. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. But what I'm saying to you is that just by drawing near to the Lord, God will sometimes just show up and say, I got you. I got you. I got your back. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. He goes on and he says, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. That was a location. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do, again, he tells them, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, I'm going to say this to you. In the New Testament, there's not one thing that the Lord declared to these people that is not applicable to you. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, says that, that God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Now, I know there are times, especially when we're going through maybe some difficult circumstances, that it seems like God is a million miles away. But just because it feels like he's a million miles away does not mean he has left you. You cannot be moved by how you feel. You must believe what the Word says. God, I, it, it really seems dry right now, but I believe you're with me. You are my ever-present help in a time of trouble. You said you would never leave me nor forsake me. And that's exactly the same promise that he made to the people of Judah. And so verse 18 says this, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Little shameless plug here, listen to last week's message. Worship is a huge key to your victory, all right? We go on, Number, verse 19. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. That means they were vocal about their praise. They were loud about their praise. Now, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to know, you know, there are times when you have to be quiet in your praise, like sitting at your desk at work. Please do not jump up and shout and jump around at work and tell your boss you're praising the Lord, okay? Wait till you get off for lunch or your break and go sit in your car and get real loud. Roll the windows up, turn the air conditioning on, and then you can get loud and praise the Lord. But, but there are other times 
i.e. in a church service where you can be loud and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So it says in verse 20, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now I want to stop right here and I want to interject something, and this is a supposition on my part, and in that um, I believe that the Lord spoke to Jehoshaphat and gave him some additional instructions which were not given earlier Okay, but that were given, uh, you'll see where he gives the people instructions. And it says, they went into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, and this is, we say this too, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Again, listen to last week's message. We talked about the connection between mercy and your worship and the mercies of God that are available. All right? Then it says, verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes or ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were what? They were defeated. Now, well, let me read this next verse, and uh, then I will, I'll make a comment. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they, uh, they helped to destroy one another. Verse 24. So when Judah came to a place... Overlooking the wilderness. Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. What is it that I tell you? Pay attention to the details. Here's what, why I tell you that, okay? Because even I have to pay attention to the details because for years I taught this story incorrectly. I taught this story, and maybe you've heard it this way too, that the children of Judah, the people of Judah got together with Jehoshaphat in charge. They're marching down to the battlefield. When they get to the battlefield, uh, Jehoshaphat puts the praisers and the singers out front. They began to lift up praises and singing to the Lord, saying, For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And while they were, you know, getting ready to engage in the battle, they had their swords drawn, ready to go into battle. All of a sudden, the Lord sent ambushments, and the people, the enemies, began to destroy one another. And that's the way that I taught it. That's because I didn't pay attention to the details, because that's not what happened in the story. There's one little phrase right here in this verse that, that opened the door to a huge truth for me, and that is this. Look at the first part of verse 24. It says, so when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness. What does that mean? That means when Jehoshaphat gave those instructions for the praisers to be out front, for them to start lifting up praise, and they began to sing and shout loudly and say, for the Lord is good, or praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever, they had not gotten to the battlefield yet. They weren't even in, in sight of the battlefield. But, but look at what happened. Let me back up. Look at the verse, that while they're on their way, they're not there yet, but while they're on their way and the people of God are praising him and worshiping him, that the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against each other and began to destroy one another. Are you listening to me? Okay. So when Judah came to a place Overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitudes and the battle was already over. There were their dead bodies fallen on the earth and no one escaped. 
Hmm. So what happened? Well, what had happened was that when the people of God began to lift up praise to the Lord before they ever actually ever got to the battlefield, the Lord fought the battle for them. Their enemies were all destroyed and defeated before they ever got on the scene. So what that tells me is, if you and I, if, if we know we've got to deal with the situation, there's something that is coming up or, or we know there's a, something around the corner or, or you know, maybe we've gotten uh, some information and, 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 and we're getting ready to have to deal with it. What this tells me is, if I will lift up praise and worship before God, before I ever get to the battlefield, then God will fight my battles for me and will already have won the victory before I ever show up to the battlefield. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. And so what I'm telling you is, if you will praise God, God will go ahead of you and fight the battle on your behalf. Now, here's the cool thing about God. He knows how to win the battle, I mean, hands down. He's a lot smarter than you and me. I don't know if you've learned that. I've kind of, it took me a while, but I kind of figured that out. And, and you know, he knows, he knows a million ways to get you to a place of victory. All you need is one. All right, let's look and see what happened. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away they're spoiled. So they've showed up on the battlefield. The enemy is all dead, laying out there. They didn't even have to swing a sword, throw a spear, do anything except show up. Now that's exactly what God told them. He said, you're not going to have to fight today. Okay? So they show up. And when the people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days. Now, this wasn't just a group of 50 people. I'm talking about the enemy. These were huge armies that came out against them. And it took them three days to gather the spoil because there was so much. Now, here's what I want to show you. If you will learn to praise God when you're facing a battle, God has already promised that he will go ahead of you and fight the battle for you. And it could be that when you show up on the battlefield, that all you've got to do is take some time to gather up some stuff that was stolen from you or perhaps belongs to you, and you could gather up the spoil that comes about because of that victory. Hallelujah. Now, here's what I want you to see. The Israelites or, or the people of Judah, their only offensive weapon that they used against the enemy was praise. 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 Hallelujah. Now, write this down, please. Praise is an effective weapon against the enemy. Now, here's what God knows that, that the devil doesn't seem to be able to understand. Is that if his people, God's people, will praise him, the devil doesn't know how to handle that. And he can't tolerate it. He can't stand it. Now let me show you why. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm verses, uh, chapter 22 and verse 3. Uh, I, I put it from the old King James because perhaps you have heard it this way. Uh, but you are holy, O you that inhabitest the praises of your people. You might have heard it said God dwells in the praises of his people. Well, the actual Hebrew says something really interesting that uh, and, and we're going to read another translation that it, that it describes it exactly. The actual Hebrew says this, when you praise God, your praise goes up and constructs a place for God to come and sit down in your midst. 
Hallelujah. Oh, I hope you get this. See, when you stop for a moment and you say, Lord, you know what? You're just so good. You're so wonderful. I praise you, Father, because you're a mighty God. You're an awesome God. Lord, I thank you that you are the... See, when you start doing that, you're building something, and God steps into that, and the Hebrew says that he actually sits down in your presence on your praise. Hallelujah. Here, let's read Psalm 22.3 from the easy-to-read version. You know why it's called the easy-to-read version? Because it's easy to read. Here we go. God, you are the Holy One. You sit as king upon the praises of Israel. And it doesn't matter if it's one person praising him or a church, church group praising him. or It doesn't matter. If God's people with a pure heart and, and a heart of gratitude will begin to praise him, the Bible says, and the reason that one translation says he inhabits, it's because it, 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 it's a picture in the Hebrew language of a house. There's a, uh, well, not to get too, too off subject here, but the Hebrew language, if you ever see Hebrew letters, they're actually little pictures, okay? And the, the name of God is actually two side pieces with a little piece on top. It looks like a house. And when you and I begin to praise God, we're constructing that little house for him to be able to move into. And that's what he desires to do. And see, write this down, since God inhabits, everybody say inhabits. What that means is he comes to dwell in. He sits down in. When God inhabits the praises of his people, the enemy flees at the sound of praise because at the sound of heartfelt praise, God comes on the scene. And, and the devil, he's not, he's not so dumb that he wants to stay on the scene when God shows up. He's already encountered God one time. There was a time way back when, when the devil showed up and said, hey, I'm going to exalt my throne above the most throne of the most high God. I'm going to have creation worship me. And God said, oh, really? No, that ain't happening. And he got kicked out of heaven. So he's had an encounter with when God shows up on the scene. And uh, so he knows that things don't go well when he sticks around, when God shows up. So when you and I lift up praises, the enemy flees because he doesn't want to be in the same environment where God's presence is. Now, I want to read something to you. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was a, a lady who was a medical doctor who gave her heart to Christ, and she began to minister healing uh, to, to people and her name is Dr. Lillian Yeomans. And I want to read a portion, just a couple of paragraphs, from her book called Healing from Heaven. She tells the story about a woman named Rosa Smith who went to China as a missionary many years ago when China was open to receiving the gospel. This was prior to uh, the revolution, so this would have been in the late 1800s, early 1900s. She then, this missionary, Rosa Smith, contracted smallpox. She faced dire natural circumstances. There was no vaccine, no cure, no hope of survival. That was a death sentence back in that day. It was kind of like tuberculosis was at that time. She didn't beg God. She didn't pray and hope he would do something. She didn't even start a prayer chain. And get a whole bunch of people to be praying with her. In faith, she asked God, what should she do? The Lord responded to her and said, praise me. Praise me for my faithfulness to my word. And then he showed her a vision of an empty basket, much like anybody remember those old peach baskets? Okay, you know about this high woven basket. And he showed her two baskets, 
One basket had a label on it called praise, and, and the other one was request. The basket of request was full. But as you can imagine, the basket labeled praise was virtually empty. And so the Lord told her when she had filled it to the top, filled the basket of praise to the top, she would receive her healing. So even as ill as she was, she began singing. And by the way, she was quarantined. She began singing, shouting, and praising the Lord. And the, the doctors wrote her off because they thought that she was delirious because of the disease. They told her to be quiet, but she kept on praising. When they told her if she recovered, she would be fully disfigured and disabled for the rest of her life. When they gave her that report, she praised all the louder. So she shouted and sang and praised until the Lord showed her that that basket was filling up and was eventually full and overflowing. And then she fell asleep. When she woke up, all of her symptoms had vanished, leaving no trace, not even a single scar. The world didn't have an answer for her situation, but God did. I heard of another minister uh, this was er also early in the 20th century. He was a traveling minister and uh, ministered all over the country. And uh, very, I mean, he wasn't an old man. He was probably in his 40s. He contracted uh, some type of disease. I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it was totally debilitating. And so the doctors had told him, you know, that basically his time in ministry was over. He was never going to be able to preach again. And uh, his, I believe it was a heart condition. And so he uh, was sent home to his home place where his mother and, and uh, his family lived. And so they were basically just taking care of him for the rest of the remainder of his life. And so he was very, very weak. And of course, back in the day, this, this was before the days of air conditioning, he was laying in the bed and all the windows were open. And he was able to look out and he saw a group of oak trees out in the yard just a little ways away from the house. And his mother and uh, his sister were out in the backyard putting laundry on the line. You know, this is before the days of electric dryers and so forth. And so he made up his mind. He said, you know what? I, if I can just make it out there to those trees, I'm just going to lay there and I'm just going to begin to praise the Lord for his goodness and his mercy and, and for working in my life. And so somehow he was able to muster the strength to crawl out of the house. They're all in the backyard. They don't know what's going on. And so he crawls out, crawls into the front yard, crawls out there and he's able to prop himself up against one of those trees and he's laying out there in the yard and all the strength that he had left, he could barely whisper, praise you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And before long, before doing that, his voice got a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and he felt a little more strength rising in his body. Well, before too long, maybe after about 45 minutes or so, he was screaming at the top of his lungs, praise the Lord. I mean, so loud that they heard him in the backyard thinking that something was wrong. And they rushed around to the front yard where he had been laying underneath those trees. And they found him on his feet, fully healed, with his arms lifted up saying, praise the Lord for my healing. He had tapped into this thing called the praise cure. See, if you're facing an impossible situation today, you, you might not have received a death sentence like these people had, but you might be facing a tough, tough situation. Circumstances are not in your favor. Well, you can fill your praise basket to overflowing and enable the Lord to be able to step into your situation and let him sit down in your praise and I can promise you, based on the authority of God's word, based on the testimonies that I've heard, and 
my own personal experience, I can promise you your circumstances will begin to change. I can say this without any fear of contradiction, and that is, I believe most, you know, and I've been trying to reflect throughout 40 years, 40 plus years of walking with the Lord, well, 46 years now, and, and I can say this, every victory, every manifestation, every miracle that I have ever received that was meaningful in my life, if, if I remember correctly, came about as a result of a prolonged period of praising and worshiping God. So, how do you start? Somebody might say, well, you know, that all sounds real good, Pastor, but, and I understand about this praise cure, but how do I enter into this? Well, let me give you a couple of things quickly. All right, here's number one. Write this down. Do like Rosa Smith did and praise God for his faithfulness to his word. Praise God for his faithfulness to his word. Now, I, I didn't put this in your notes, but if you want to jot this down parenthetically and say this, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. Let me just take a poll in here real quick. I think most of us have been saved for a minute or two. Um, anybody in here ever experienced God do something for you in your past? Okay. Anybody uh, know that God is working in your life right now? Okay. Is there anybody that's looking forward to the Lord working in your life in the days to come? Okay. Why? Because he is faithful to his word. If God has declared it in his word, it is sure that it will come to pass. And I promise you, if you will, and then here's the biggest thing is, or and not the biggest thing, but this will really help you, is if you can look back and reflect on those times when God has moved on your behalf. Let me show you in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I didn't read these verses, but let's look at the prayer that Jehoshaphat lifted up before the Lord in verse 6. He said, And, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? And then he starts to reflect. He says, and you, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Now there's two things that Jehoshaphat did. He reminded God of what he had done in the past. And then this phrase, again, pay attention to the details. When he referred to Abraham as being God's friend, that is covenant talk. And what that means is that, that Jehoshaphat tapped into the covenant relationship that he had with God because he is a descendant of Abraham. So if Abraham was a friend of God, Jehoshaphat is a friend of God. Well, the Bible says in James that you are a friend of God. And if you are a friend of God, that means you're in a covenant relationship with him. And oh, I wish I had time to, we're talking about it on Wednesday nights, but man, I tell you, the covenant relationship is what our entire relationship with God is based on because we are in covenant with him. There is nothing that he has available that is not available to us. And, and somehow he's interested in the little bit that we have that we could offer him. But, but all of the resources of heaven are involved in that covenant relationship. So when Jehoshaphat said, uh, are you not God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? What he was saying is, God, you're the same God who did that then, and you're, you will, because of your covenant, do it now. And I'm telling you, if you will ever find out 
who you are and what you have as a result of that covenant. Somebody said, that's pretty bold talk to the Lord. You, you ever heard bold talk to the Lord? You need to read the Psalms. David said some pretty bold things to the Lord because David had a covenant with God. You know what David said in one of the Psalms? Okay. He said this, Lord, I'm lifting up my voice to you and you will listen to me and you will answer me. That's bold. But he did that, not in arrogance, not in pride. He did it because he knew who he was and that he had a relationship with God. And so do you. So the first thing that you're going to need to do is praise God for his faithfulness to his word. God, I just praise you because there's not one promise in your word that has failed to come to pass. Lord, you're not a man that you should lie. You, you are true to your word. I've seen you do it in my life in the past. I've seen you do it and you're doing it now and I know you will do it in the days to come. That's how you praise God for his faithfulness to his word. Now, this is why I often tell people, and I've told you before, when you have a victory in your life, and I mean an answer prayer or something along that line, write it down. Write it down and then keep that handy because what you can do is you can go back and say, Lord, I, I remember what you did back in 2015 when I needed this and you showed up and you provided. And then, Lord, what you did in 2016 when I was sick, you healed my body. And so it gives you some, some things to remind you. The Bible says in, in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Am I helping anybody? So praise God for his faithfulness to his word. His word never fails. It never returns void, Isaiah 55 says. And he always keeps his promises. Praise him for it. Now here maybe is where the effort comes in. And here's number two. Keep praising God until you break through. Now, I, some of you may not remember this. But uh, anybody ever heard one of the old timers? And I'm talking about, you know, one of the old church mothers or somebody that's been around for a long time in this stuff. That back in the day, they used to pray until they prayed through. Anybody ever heard that before? I think the old timers tapped into something that maybe we have forgotten about a little bit. Because what we want to do is lift our hands, throw up two hallelujahs and call it a day. Those old timers didn't think that way. They would come to church if there was a need or a situation or something that people were facing, they would come to church and they would pray until they got the answer, till they got their breakthrough. And I think that's something, again, that we need to pick up on uh, because just like the missionary I was talking about earlier, she praised until she filled that basket. Do you think she felt like doing that? Nope. She didn't. I can tell you that. I've been sick before. I know what that feels like. And so you're going to have to praise until you experience a breakthrough. Well, how long is it going to take, Pastor? I don't know. It'll take as long as it takes. See, something happens when you move over into a spirit of praise that keeps going until you break through. Until, and, and, and you know, I know we, we preach about and teach, and rightfully so, not to be moved by your feelings, okay? But there is a knowing that takes place right down here in your spirit. When you know you have prayed and praised and thanked God and the victory has come. I used to hear people talk about, and of course I've experienced this myself, where, you know, you pray, particularly praying in the Spirit, but you praise and you pray until there's a note of victory right down here. 
And oftentimes it'll be where there'll be some laughter that'll come up out of your spirit or, or joy will come up out of your spirit. And that's because in your spirit, the Holy Spirit knows that the victory is already won. And I believe that there's just some things, you know, sometimes we claim, we modern Christians, we claim to be so progressive and so modern and all of this kind of stuff. And I think there's some things that we just need to go back and pick up that the old timers knew. And maybe they didn't know exactly what to call it. You know, pray until you have a knowing in your knower. They, they didn't know what to call it, but it, they're right. And so some people, however, want to praise God quietly to themselves. Well, I'm so glad that that missionary didn't do that. I'm so glad that the children of Judah didn't do that because you remember we read that they praised God loudly and with a high voice, a loud voice. There's no such thing, and again, you got to qualify this, but there's no such thing as a silent praise. You have to open your mouth. You might be whispering it, but you must open your mouth. Be loud, be bold, give confident thanks to God because you can't afford to be silent, particularly if it's a matter of life and death. Let me show you a situation in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Paul and Silas were being persecuted because of preaching the gospel. They had been beaten uh, because they cast a, a, a fortune-telling demon out of a little girl, took some men's source of income away from them by doing that. So they had them arrested. They were beaten and put in prison. They were chained to the wall. And it says, but about midnight, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, as Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, listen, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They weren't in their cell going, praise the Lord. I don't want anybody to hear. I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm just going to praise and we'll sing some songs. Silas, let's just join hands and sing Kumbaya. No, it wasn't like that at all. They praised God so loud that the other prisoners heard them. What happened to Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. How many of you might need a suddenly in your life? Yeah, you need to do what Paul and Silas did. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the doors were opened and everybody's shackles were unfastened. What? What? Not just Paul and Silas's? No. Everybody in the prison got set free. And I can imagine maybe they're also dumbfounded at what happened. None of them left. Because the, the, if you go on and read it, and the, the Philippian jailer, he jumped in and he said, hey, and he drew his sword and was getting ready to kill himself because he knew if they all escaped, it was a death sentence for him anyway. And so Paul spoke up and he said, hey, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And so what ended up happening is the Philippian jailer ended up giving his heart to Christ. His whole family got saved and, and they just had a glorious revival there all because Paul and Silas dared to praise God in the middle of a difficult situation. What I want to submit to you today is you might find yourself at midnight. You know what midnight is? Midnight is the darkest hour. It might seem like everything is closing in around you, that the circumstances are getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes they do. But if you're in that situation, just do what Paul and Silas did. Begin to pray, sing praises to God. Somebody said, I can't sing. Well, that's all right. Just, just say it if you have to, all right? But listen, it doesn't matter to God. But remember, they were praising out loud. And when the devil thought he had defeated them and quieted the gospel, he made one mistake. And you can imagine Paul speaking to the devil said this, you know, you've got my hands and feet bound, but you made a big mistake because you should have 
taped my mouth shut because then you might have been able to keep me quiet. But as long as I can move my mouth, I can move a mountain. As long as I can move my mouth, I can use the name of Jesus and have authority and see God move. I'm telling you, if you will get a hold of this and the praise cure, I promise you, based on the authority of God's Word, it will bring you out of any situation that you might be facing. One more thing, write this down, please. If you dare to lift your voice in praise, not only will it set you free, but it could set some people free around you just like those other prisoners. All because you decided to praise God and step into the praise cure. Amen? Have I helped you today? Praise the Lord. Let's take just a moment and let's just praise the Lord. Father, we praise you today and thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that your word is true. Come on, lift your voices. Don't listen to me pray. I'm just, just kind of leading. Lord, we just praise you today because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. You are a mighty God. You are an awesome God, Father. There's nobody greater than our Heavenly Father. Lord, and I praise you today because you're on our side. You're for us and not against us. And there is not one thing you have declared in your word that will not come to pass. And so, Father, we thank you that you are moving in our situations, moving in our circumstances. We thank you, Father, that you are providing the way out. You are, as we sang earlier, the way maker. Where there seems to be no way, you are making a way. Hallelujah. And so, Father, we praise you for that today. We glorify you, Lord. I praise you, Father, because you are our healer. I praise you, Father, because you are our provider. Lord, you are an unending supply. You are El Shaddai, the one who is more than enough. I thank you, Father, that you are seated high, but you come to dwell and live among our praises. And so, Father, we take a couple of moments right now to build you a habitation, to build you a throne, to come and dwell in. Come and live and dwell in our praises, Father. Hallelujah. We praise the name of our God. We thank you that you are Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Just like you were the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are the God of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are your people. We are your children. And we praise you today. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you're so good, Father. You're so good to us. You loved us, Father. Thank you for your love that never fades away. Your love that never runs out. Your love that never comes up short, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, we love you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I praise you, Father. Lord, I thank you that you are moving in our midst right now. I thank you, Father, you're pouring out your goodness into our lives right now. I praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We declare that you are worthy of our praise. Lord Jesus, you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of the fruit of our lips giving thanks to your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now look up here for just a moment. Let me help you with something. A lot of times, 
let me, let me say it to you another way. You and I need to develop a vocabulary of praise and worship. What does that mean? What that means is a lot of times we don't know what to say. <laughs> you, you ever been, uh, don't, uh, you know, forgive me because, you know, I, I, this is kind of what comes to my mind, but you ever been on a, uh, a date or in, in a situation, maybe you're with somebody and it's kind of uncomfortable and it's kind of tense and you don't know what to say. And, and a lot of times you either don't say anything or you say something stupid. <laughs> uh, guilty. All right. So a lot of times, and, and there's, I'm not condemning anybody when I say this, but a lot of times when we get into worship, we don't know what to say. So what I, what I want to encourage you to do, and the Lord instructed me in this many years ago, and that is you need to develop a vocabulary of worship. Now, what does that mean? Well, fortunately, we have a book in our Bible that's actually made up of 150 smaller books. It's a hymnal. It's called the Book of Psalms. Okay? And so what you need to do is not only read the book of Psalms just so you can check that off, but go through and read it looking for stuff that you can incorporate into your worship. You know, um, the Bible says, David wrote this in one of the Psalms. And by the way, uh, the way the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were written is there were people who were called scribes. Zadok was one of those in David's dynasty. And so what would happen is when the king would go down to the tabernacle, the tabernacle of David, and would begin to play, he was a musician, or he would get in the environment where their other musicians were, a lot of times the Holy Spirit would come upon him and he would begin to worship God. And there were people that were sitting there writing down everything that he would say. And that's why we have the book of Psalms because these people were writing down a lot of what David would say. So when David, you know, he walked in and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's not, he's not typing at the same time that he's saying that. He's worshiping God with that and somebody else is listening to him and writing that down. But what I wanna to say to you is this, and, and then we'll be done. Um, there are things in there that if it, you, you have to think about for just a moment. You know, David wrote, and he said this, Lord, I worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Now, have you ever thought about that for just a moment? You know, there's some good looking people walking the earth. You know, I'm one of them. No, I'm just kidding. But I, 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 uh, there's nobody more beautiful than God. Nobody holds a candle to him. I don't care if you're thinking about the most perfect person in Hollywood or whatever. They don't hold a candle to the Lord. And it's not just physical beauty because he's not physical. There are attributes about him that make him beautiful. And David noted one of his attributes that made him beautiful is holiness. Now we think holiness is you don't sin. Now, holiness is much greater than just don't sin. And when you get into the presence of God, you'll begin to sense. And, and you, you might have heard people that have gone to heaven and come back that they have noted how beautiful everything is there. Even, did you know God smells good? He's not a grumpy old man with a long beard who smells like he's been sitting in a rest home for the last 50 years, okay? And, and so when you began to learn things about the Lord, somebody say, that's just weird, Pastor. No, that's not. When you began to learn about the characteristics of God, particularly the intimate details of Him, and you began to tell Him things like, Lord, there's nobody that compares to you. Your holiness, your beauty, your righteousness, your glory, Father. When you begin to ascribe to Him and talk to Him like that, what happens in your earthly relationships 
when you begin to tell a person how much you appreciate and you love the intimate qualities about them? Does it push you away or does it draw you closer? Draws you closer. Well, God's no different. And when you begin to acknowledge him like that, it makes him want to hang out with you more. It makes him want to draw near to you. And so just, just think about that for a little while, like the psalm says, see la. <laughs> okay? Think about that for a little bit. And just as you're reading the scriptures, just make some notes about that. I, I'm going to incorporate that into my worship. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.